Houston Star of Hope Mission brings you a moment of hope. Could you spare a little hope today? Hi, this is Scott Arthur. About six months ago, Star of Hope partnered with two very popular Christian radio stations for an experiment, or should I say an experience. The object was to create a greater awareness of Houston's homeless problem and to give an insight into what it's like to actually live as a homeless man or woman for a few days on the streets. Representing the homeless males was Carter, the morning co-host on KSBJ. For the female point of view, representing a single woman or a mom with children on the streets was Ayana, the morning co-host on Engine Radio, that's KSBJ's sister station. For security reasons, a male and female constable would also accompany them, undercover. The four of them were to be dropped off and swaddled up by the city for three days and two nights. They were each given backpacks, a tent, $5 cash, a list of available social services, a bus pass, and nothing else. They would have access to a phone once or twice a day just to call into the radio station on the air and report to their listeners and fans how they were doing. Only three people knew exactly where they were. Star of Hope followed the foursome on their journey and has produced a video documenting their experience. And to mark the premiere of this video, we thought it would be fun to revisit the two radio personalities about a half a year after their adventure. What did they learn? Has anything in their lives changed? Well, the first question I asked Carter and then Ayana was, how did you feel about the homeless before you spent time on the streets? I think uh, anxiety of, of going downtown, I mean, honestly, of just, um, I didn't have the, the hate that I've, I've seen some people have, but I, I definitely, a nuisance, um, because it just felt like, when I, honestly, I think it still can feel this way. You want to know that they're being honest with you. And somebody comes up and has a story and it's like, I don't even know if this is true. And, and, and honestly, the, <clears throat> I didn't have the love of Jesus of taking the time to hear them out, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. So how much do you want? I mean, that was kind of my attitude. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think now that there are better resources, I've kind of flip-flopped that a little bit. Um, but I think, I think it was definitely an anxious thing of like, I just want to walk to this Astros game and be left alone. That's, that's probably my thoughts beforehand. Kind of same thing, you know, um, just light judgment. I wouldn't say, again, like you were saying, Carter, not a hate, because you realize, you know, you're down and out on your luck. and um, But you do kind of, if I give you this money, what are you going to do with it? Are you, is this a scam? Um, you know, are, are, are you making $60,000 a year and, <laughs> and you're just really, you know, good at this? You know, so some of that does go through your head. Um, I was really curious to find out how someone ends up in this predicament because I know when I'm when I'm driving around with my son uh, and we would give money initially uh, before this experience that is what I would do and um, so when I would have my son that's what we did and I just I, I, I used to tell him you know that's somebody's baby that's somebody's uncle, that's somebody's grandfather, that's somebody's grandmother. And I always had that thought in the back of my head when looking at homeless people, but there was also a hesitance to engage because I, you just you don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know. Again, I don't know if you're a con artist and this is what you do. I don't know if you I just I don't know. So that whole fear of what am I getting into if I just open up the door and start talking to you? Where is this going to go? Mm -hmm. You just kind of mm -hmm. want to avoid 
all of that. And so sometimes, and I'm guilty of it, I would just do the, the if we weren't giving the dollar, then I would do the walk past, stare, stare past. Mm-hmm. And just no mm-hmm. eye contact, keep it moving. All right, he didn't have to deal with that. And almost out of the blue, you guys were approached by the radio station and they said, we want you to become homeless. Now, one of my first thoughts would be publicity stunt. Did you guys have thoughts like that? I did wonder, like, okay, um, what is the angle here? At the end of the day, like, I don't want to go in. Just I had a a lot of questions about logistics, like uh, how much do I reveal? How much am I able to receive from these people? And I don't want them to feel like I'm taking advantage of them. I don't want them, if, if someone does open up to me, I don't want them to feel like, you know, at, once they found out about this, if they were to find out about this, I don't want them to feel taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely didn't want to come on, come in on a high horse, you know, and uh, and uh, look at me, you know, I can, I'm, I'm like this spy, and 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 I, I feel like I'm one of you, but then at the end of the movie, you know, I'm, I was never homeless, you know, and and so I, I didn't want it to be disrespectful, um, and I think just the way that it happened, it was such a respectful way of like. This is just a toe in the water. You know, it's a couple of days of feeling the physical well, and, and and mental a little bit limitations mm-hmm. because you do. It was a long day. You know, it was a long co- couple of days. But uh, I did have I had the advantage of having the hope of knowing I'm going back home. Um, whereas somebody really in the predicament, they don't know what's next. When you go back and you, you told your family what you were going to do, what was the reaction? My family, my husband was like, I don't care. I don't care if they're offering you money and what the amount is. I'm not interested in it. You don't need to do it. No. My mother and father were very, very, because, you know, I'm their girl. I'm a, I'm a wife. At the time, my daughter was 18 months old. So my family, they were like, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, no. And we argued over it. Oh, and my so my morning show partner, my husband was like, I'll consider it if he can go because, you know, they're good friends and he trusts him. And and uh, it was a no, Manny can't go. It needs to be just you for this. And so we actually ended up getting into a couple of arguments about it. And uh, it was it wasn't a yes right away for me. It was uh, initially it was it was like, hmm, this is an experience that, you know, I. I want to know, I want to be able to share someone else's story that's dealing with this. So my initial gut was like, yeah, let's do this. But then after talking to my family and then they ran mm. safety concerns and, you know, and then, it did freak you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. they Well, you know, they just brought in a real element of that's the street. This is not a game. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who's walking with you. When things go south, they go south. Right. I think for me, I think my wife said uh, something to the effect of, so I would get a three-day vacation from you. <laughs> Sign me up. But, Could you uh, make it four? Uh, <laughs> I know, right? It's like a couple weeks. No, she was. She just asked about safety, um, and because of Precinct One getting involved, I, you know, I, I wasn't too concerned, but I didn't, I didn't think into it. You know, I had her go. Is there going to be safety? Yeah, we have a, a guard. You know, an actual police officer. Oh, okay. You know, and um, and I think if she had had hesitations, I would have been in the same. But I would have started thinking about, oh, man, you're right. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, uh, props. We are talking about safety. Uh, we approached Precinct One and I approached a friend of mine, first of all. And I said, we are presented with this great opportunity 
where a couple of the DJs will actually go on the street, but we want to make sure that they're safe. And is there some way that maybe we could go to the police academy and, and, and possibly uh, pay a couple of people to do it for credit or, or whatever and just go on the street with them? And he said, let me get back to you. And it was a day and a half later, he picked up the phone and he said, we got you covered. He said, we are going to have a couple of Precinct 1 deputies go out there and be with you undercover. And that just blew me away. And they said, and also, we're going to uh, make sure that the perimeter is safe. So it was 10 times more than we were asking for. But they wanted to, number one, make sure you guys were safe because they were fans. And number two, they wanted to make sure that they had the experience as well because they worked downtown. They worked with that particular element. And uh, they wanted to benefit by this as well. So it was a win-win. Yeah. So we were able to come back to Iana and say, we got you covered. Yeah. You know? And, and that, that helped. That did help. Yeah. And I guess your wife didn't care at all. Of it. <laughs> yeah. no. 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 If it was just me and uh, Hobo Joe out yeah. there, it would have just fine. So. Okay. So when did it become real for you guys? I mean, we, we did a lot of prep. We, we made sure that you have a tent. Uh, we dressed you in donated clothes. We gave you a list of what to do, what not to do. We thought it through and we made sure that you were able to experience some of the if I should say highlights or low lights mm. and, but you didn't have to go through the entire experience. You couldn't because that would mean years and years of building up to this. Mm. That would mean mental problems. That would mean just so Drug much use. going on addiction, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So what, what were your thoughts actually going into this when it was maybe like the day before? I, I think for me, I mean, a couple moments stand out of just the last lunch, if you will, with my wife, uh, the car ride, you know, with Ayana and I and, and you and then Rick, who, who you know, shot the documentary. Um, and then, of course, when we just we got out of the car, and there we are. We got our bags. People are staring at us. And and as soon as we got to that fast food restaurant, uh, you know, downtown Memorial, I think, is where. No, and no, 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 no. It was not Memorial. What, my uh, friend. <laughs> what was what's the name of that street? though? Cush Corner. We were by the Greyhound bus and right. the uh, mm-hmm. popular restaurant right the next popular to restaurant, it. I, which which we called Ground Zero. Ground Zero. Mm-hmm. And it was. Um, oh, wow. You know, I had never been by there like that or at least at least taken the time to look if I had. And just 20, 30 people in the parking lot just hanging out because they got nowhere to go, nothing to do. And they're they're intoxicated. You know, they're high. And it was just, uh, wow, we're really in this. And, of course, that was the worst spot that we went of all the, mm-hmm. you know, that we kind of got that one out of the way, if mm-hmm. you will. But still to be, well, and also to be almost thrown out of the the, uh, the restaurant where oh, yeah. we, just because of how we were dressed, the manager wanted us out. Not just not just us. It was many people in there who trying to kick out. And uh, the security guard there stood up for us and said they just got here and they ordered food, you know. It was just uh, surreal. Yeah. I, for me... It got uh, real the night before as I was laying down in my bed and I'm, you know, I'm really I kept saying I'm very particular about my sleep because I am. And and I, and I hate to sound like that, but I just I am. I'm very things have to be a certain way for me to go to sleep. And just the realization of you're getting ready to be outside in the heat there. There is no, you know, adjustable bed and all that stuff. You know, you're very blessed right now. Enjoy this. And I also sleep with my daughter, so she's not going to be next to me. And, uh, yeah, just, hmm, this is going, this tomorrow is going to be very different. And then, um, like you said, being out there on Cush Corner, for me also, when we started walking with our bags, 
Oh, my goodness. Mm. You walk with those bags and it's like doing a magic trick. Want to see me disappear? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Give me all these bags and and dress me up like a homeless person and and people will, will, they will look right through you. They will either look through you or they will be so mad at you for being homeless. Like people just, I, disgust in their face, like, ill. Don't even come near me. And so I'm not used to being treated like that. So that was very eye-opening. And I'm thankful for that um, because I, I always tell people you're somebody and nobody at the same time. And and that's a great way that life balances you out. It just You mean the world to one person and you're absolutely nobody to the next. And sometimes when we're doing media and things like that, we're so used to receiving positive attention and praise and things like that. You need this experience was really good to just show me the polar opposite mm. of, you know, now you're nobody. Yeah. This is how that feels. Let's explain to people that um, we set you up with tents. And we made sure that you knew that you had to carry everything you owned everywhere. And, and the reason for that is, is that um, otherwise, you know, you could come back and your tent would be gone. Your supplies would be gone. So literally everywhere you walked and we actually worked it out. You walked around seven miles hmm. and it probably didn't feel that way, but it was. And you walked all around the city and you lugged everything with you. And you said something before that would really struck me. You said it was like having a scarlet letter. It was. It was like having the scarlet letter on your chest. As soon as you walked um, off of the bus out of a building, there you were holding everything. They knew you weren't traveling. They knew you weren't on vacation. They knew you. That's all of you right there. That's and it's kind of like, you know, people judged you, you know, we live in a society where, you know, when you accumulate a lot of things, just people look at your watch, your shoes, and, you know, you're doing good. When you are dressed like a homeless person, they are like, wow, you are failing miserably. And, yeah, they look at you and they're like, well, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. And it's it's a really, it's a sad, I could not imagine being treated like that every day. What that does to your psyche and what that, what it does to just, what it does to you. That's just a horrible way to be treated. Every single day, you don't get a break from it. Yeah. You set up your tent the first night and we had picked a spot that was not in the middle of the city, but it was very close to the city. And uh, it was a pretty area, but it was an area that we didn't know it was safe. We didn't know whether uh, a policeman were going to go by and say, get out of there. So there was a lot of tentative feelings as well. Tell me about how you felt when you were setting up that tent. I think, um, I think boredom, maybe, uh, or of like what, you know, we're going to set this to, because it was like five or six o'clock because we mm-hmm. wanted to do while it was still daylight. And then like, all right, uh, what are we going to do now? You know, we got that set up and I think we were tucked away enough in some trees that it wasn't completely humiliating, but still I looked over, you know, to the sidewalk, you know, 25, 30 yards away and is anybody looking over here, you know, because they're, we're setting up a tent. I mean, People are going to know what we're doing. They're going to know that we're not camping. They're going to assume that we're homeless, which in that moment, that was accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad nobody called the police on us. They looked and, you know, you kind of could see them looking out the corner of their eyes like, are they really setting up? Oh, mm. my goodness. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they left us alone. Thank God. And the other thing that I thought about was there's absolutely no way this is going to be comfortable. There's no way I'm actually going to go to sleep tonight because, A, 
this is a hard ground. B, there's, I don't know who is around me. I, I'm just, I'm one of those people where the doors have to be locked, the alarm is set, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then I can sleep nicely. And you're in a tent. There is no door. And you're in public. And whoever wants to be there has a right to be there. And then there's also people that don't like homeless individuals and will go and pick on them. And so I remember the first night we were out, there were some young kids that were uh, skateboarding all night long. We heard them. Well, Carter didn't hear anything because he fell asleep. I can sleep anywhere. Apparently he can sleep standing. (laughs) We were so mad at him. He went into the tent and was like, hey, guys, I'm just going to close my eyes for a (laughs) We were so mad. He's sleeping. Uh, but everybody else, it was we we were on this incline. So the tent kept sliding down <laughs> and we would mountain climb up and it would slide down. And so but, you know, we're laughing at it now because, thank God, you know, that's not something that we have to deal with every day. But for someone, I think of people that are under bridges, you know, and, and that that incline that they sleep on, just not comfortable. And, and again, the unknown who's around me. Not everybody is my friend. Not everybody's okay with me being homeless and just always having to be one eye open. One of the deals that we made with uh, Precinct One, and and they were so great to be out there, was that uh, they wouldn't flash their badges. I mean, they were there for your safety, but they were undercover, and uh, we made sure that they let you make the decisions. They were just kind of tag-alongs there. And uh, if something happened, uh, if there was a drug deal going on next to you or something like that, they were just homeless people. They were there to protect you in case something went south. But other than that, they were just right along, along, there along with you. And uh, we appreciated that role. And they did a really good job. I was kind of hoping that that would uh, uh, have an exception if somebody had told us to move at 3 a.m. <laughs> because no, honestly, no. we would have, uh, and it would have been another story to tell. I'll tell you that because if somebody had told us to move, mm-hmm. Where would we have gone? I mean, we you just go up on the Sabine Bridge. I mean, what would we have honestly done? We don't know. We, we, we actually anticipated that, and we told Precinct 1. We said, if that does happen, do not show your badge. Yeah. Get up and move. Mm-hmm. So they were ready for that. And it just didn't happen, but it would have been a fascinating. And yet that happens all the time. So do you guys feel that you really did blend? I do. Mm. I mean, I mean, I think we had enough conversations with people where... It, it seemed like, I'm not saying we even totally looked apart or anything, but I think enough people welcomed us into that community that I think we had a good day of, of blending in. Yeah, every I mean, if, if someone doubted us, they definitely didn't let it off and they're uh-huh. not actors at all. So or they weren't, you know, they weren't aware of what was happening. But when we did speak to people, it, you know, the homeless people were the nicest individuals. They were the nicest people. They were extremely helpful. Um, They shared their stories. And I I was really happy that they were more willing to talk than ask questions. And and but a little bit further on into this experience, I realized because nobody wants to listen to you often. So for them to have a listening ear, uh, I didn't have to go and tell a lot of my background that they were able to just tell their story and and then a sense of uh, just you know, just a sense of friendliness arose just from that. And yeah. so I think we blended. I, I, I think we did. Yeah. Uh, we met some really cool people that helped us out, too. Um, the homeless people were the nice ones. The ones with nine to fives, not so much. You each had uh, your own backstories memorized, though, just in case you had to tell anybody your story. Mm-hmm. 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 But uh, as you say, nobody really cared. No. 
No, not judgmental. Every we're all in this together. It it was kind of that attitude. We're all in this together, and um, you know what do you need? This is where you can go get that, and yeah, it, everybody was just really just cool really just they were nice very nice people now my friend rick and i both employees of star of hope uh actually filmed a documentary on this and we'll talk about that a little bit later but in order to do that we basically had to get up close and personal with you and we had two assignments one is to document this the other was not to blow your cover so the four of you are out there you're intense you're carrying everything around the city and we need to photograph you, but not make it look like we're photographing just you. It would look like a, a documentary and, you know, you wouldn't have any realism whatsoever. So we made a deal with these two, actually with Precinct One as well. We said the only way that we can really get good shots of you is to practically be right in front of you. And I got to tell you, these guys were great because... Literally, they would look right past us. They would look right through us. When you get to see the documentary, and I hope that you do, you will see up close and personal. And we're literally in their face, but they're looking right past us. And I give you guys kudos for that because not only are you professionals, but you're also we're staying in character. We did not talk to each other for two and a half days. You know, we just made sure that you had that experience. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about experience. You gather everything up the next day and went in search of breakfast or lunch? What what were you doing? I, I, what did we do for breakfast? Nothing? Uh, for breakfast, I think, yeah, we kind of walked, we gathered everything up, and we ended up getting, like, an early lunch. Yeah. So we went to two different places for lunch. We went to... Um, Loaves and fishes. Loaves and fishes, and then we went to the other place that was, um, I forget the name of it. The Catholic one um, with the, we got on the bus to go. The uh, church. Yeah, the, we went yeah. to a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. yeah. So breakfast, we didn't make it to breakfast because you would have to be up very, very early. And I think everyone just had a really rough night sleeping. So we all kind of agreed, like, look, we're not going to try to get on buses super early because we just need to wake up. And we did. We went to Loaves and Fishes and uh, standing in the line at Loaves and Fishes was really interesting. Uh, there was a lot going on. And that was that was like that was like true homelessness. So when we were on Cush Corner, that was a different kind of homeless, in my opinion. That was I can afford drugs and, you know, I'm, I'm here hanging out. But those people kind of struck me as, you know, maybe they'll go like, I don't know, there there may be a home that they're going to or someone's house. When we were in the line at Loaves and Fishes, these were the tent city people. These were the, I mean, just matted hair. You smelled the urine. You, um, we saw people, I remember seeing, a couple of people stood out to me, the, the gentleman that had a large tumor on his face. It was about the size of a cantaloupe on his, on the left side of his face. Yeah. And he was an older guy, matted hair, very, very dirty clothes. But I remember he smiled. I remember he would walk and he would smile. I also remember seeing a young teenager walking around who was high out of his mind. And I, it just broke my heart because I was like, man, that's somebody's kid. And he's walking around talking to himself, filthy. And then another lady that was yelling at everybody and about to fight. It was like, this is real. This is this is real. And we're about to really sit down and eat with these individuals like the smells, the the different personalities. It was like, wow, 
ooh, this is a lot to take in. And, and I need to be careful here, you know, because there were a lot of people there that were truly not in their right minds. And drugs can make you act any kind of way. <laughs> and it also makes you very strong. So yeah. if you're if you're a target and, and you stand out to them, or things can go left. Mm. You know, and that's, that's interesting because one of the reasons that uh, we loved having you along is because you represented uh, basically a segment of the homeless that a lot of people don't think about, which is single women or moms with kids. Mm-hmm. Now, you probably wouldn't see a lot of single women or moms with kids in that line yeah, because they are in abandoned buildings or sleeping in their car. And that's a major percentage of what is out there. So, you know, yes, you're probably describing a guy that you see sleeping under a bridge, maybe one of those guys that is, you know, on the corner with a sign, but you know, that is just one segment, but you were deeply involved into that. You we were, were very close. That's the closest yeah. I've ever been to it. Yeah. The closest. You were given a piece of paper with a number of different, options where to go for food, for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. And there's a lot of uh, nonprofits, a lot of uh, social agencies out there that make food available for people, even if they don't have any idea or whatever like that. Loaves and Fishes is one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because you kind of went through the process where if somebody is living in a tent or just sleeping on a bench and they want to get up in the morning and go have breakfast, that may be a five-mile trip. Mm. That may be walking 17 blocks, taking a bus, going another 15 blocks just to get something to eat. Yeah. That is a typical day out there. You also told me that while you were sleeping in your tent, your family was out looking for you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, My husband grabbed the kids and they went driving looking for me. And I did not tell him where I was. Um, But every night he went and he, he had the kids in the car. And I don't know if that's just a husband's love. When I found out where he was, he actually was right above us. Really? He was with the kids. And he never knew. He didn't know. He didn't know that we were there right underneath the bridge. He didn't know. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, that was. And, and you, you were not in contact with him. Each of these disc jockeys were called into their stations so they could turn on the air and know that you're safe mm-hmm. because they could hear you. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know where you were. And we actually did some fake news uh, just before you left. And we told everybody that well, your listeners that you were going to be in the north side of Houston, not downtown. Mm-hmm. So because I know a lot of your listeners would probably want to go by and give you a bologna sandwich or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So we just kind of put them in the different direction. Which, you know, if that happened, we were instructed that obviously somebody on the street that could happen to. But I think we wanted to avoid an unnatural process of. Uh, a parade of people coming with everything that we could possibly need in that moment. Um, but yeah, it, incredible, passionate listeners. And I think, uh, I know you're probably the same with engine, just hearing the people that afterwards, Hey, this inspired me to, to put together a hope bag, or now I just rolled on my window at the stoplight and I just talked to him for a second and, and trying to treat people like people, but at the same time, take off the pressure of yourself of, well, if I engage, that means mm-hmm. I have to give something. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. I just might as well not engage. I mean, that's just a lie. You know, you can talk to somebody like a human being without feeling like you have to give or giving into that feeling that you have to give. Because if you don't have a sandwich, then you can't give one. And it's recommended to not give money. Yeah. Um, just say how you doing and point them to Star of Hope. Yeah. You, you actually did have an opportunity to meet one listener <laughs> at Lowe's and Fishes. You want to tell that story? Yeah. So we walk in and. 
it's uh, you get a handshake when you walk in and you get your meal. And I mean, first and foremost, too, if you ever want to volunteer for one of these places and you think, well, it's just a just a meal. Those 30 minutes, I felt like a normal person. I kind of forgot the project was was going on. Now, I can't speak for somebody long term homelessness, but you at least are being treated like a human being. You get to sit at a table and you get to eat. And so we're doing that. And I have a sock hat on and it's, you know, early May. It is warm. And this man comes over and says, that's a hot hat for a hot day in Houston. Why don't you try this? And it was a ball cap with mesh on the back and it was cooler. And I said, thank you. And he said, also, you know, to protect your lips, here's some chapstick. Well, that KSBJ logo right there on the chapstick. He goes, plus that's a good station. You need to listen to that. And I, I got to tell you at this point. Uh, yeah. I kind of saw what was happening because I was literally at the head of the table taking pictures of you, mm-hmm. making it look like I'm taking pictures of everyone, but it was really of you guys. Right. And I saw it come down, and you're just looking down at the table. You're not looking at him at all. Yeah. And I'm realizing this is probably one of your listeners. Well, and I, he says his name. His name's Lang. And I was like, he calls our show. And so right now I'm thinking, well, he's, he's in on this. He's heard the pre-promotion of what we're going to do. And he already knew he was going to be there or he's going to be on the lookout for us. And he's doing this on purpose. Turns out he didn't know at all until afterwards. So he says that about KSBJ. And then, you know, you're standing there, Scott. And you said, do you ever listen in the morning? And I'm, I can't hold it together. I'm, I'm just looking down. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is like, I feel like undercover boss, you know, or whatever. And he goes, uh, the guy goes, oh, yeah, that Carter takes a beating from Rochelle. And, you know, inside I'm like, amen, clapping hands emoji, you know, because uh, we have a lot of fun like that. But, um, no, he didn't. He did not know. And, no. and we got a chance to talk to him after, actually, the morning we got back and we're doing the show on that Friday. Uh, he called in. It was like, I had no idea. We he found out after because his wife was suspicious and they were walking into the Astros game after volunteering. And his wife was like, I think that might have been. And they Google my or, you know, find my picture at KSBJ.org and was like, that was totally him. Cool. So it was. Oh, it was so a they had story. a feeling leaving. So they kind of thought it was you as they were on their way out. Well, yeah, that was that was what his wife was thinking. Okay. He did. He was oblivious. He was clueless. And his wife was, I think, standing at a distance. I didn't even see her. And she was like, I think that might have been that. It was really cool because he was like, yeah, I come down here on my lunch break. Yes. I think he if he didn't say every day, he said like every Friday or something like that. He does a lot. Yeah. And he's like, I, I work right around the corner and I come down here and I serve. And and I think that day he had a son with him, too. It was just like, wow, man, yeah. the KSBJ listeners are awesome. Amen. Well, at the same time, you had a God moment, too. I did. When we were in the line, when we first got there, the gentleman that was helping us out had a 91.7 engine radio bracelet on. And so I was like, wait, whoa, let me see your hand. And he holds out his hand. I'm like, where'd you get that from? And he said, yeah, they were down here praying the other day and and they prayed for me, and so, and it gave me a bracelet. It was really nice. I think we had like a concert or something in in that area, and he attended it and and took the bracelet. So that was like, you know, that happened before we got in. Then when Carter, it was like, a, yes, I am here. Yeah. This is what I want you to do. And it, yeah, it totally was a God moment. Tell me about your last night in the tent. The last night for me was the same as the first night, but you're already exhausted going in, more exhausted. And I think my thoughts on that last day was, you know, because like we talked about earlier, you walk five miles for lunch and then you walk around. You have all this time in the world to do everything and you can't do anything. 
And my thought was if I had to wake up and do another full day of this, I'd, I would lose my mind. I mean, even just one more full day to think about you know, walk again and you got to go there again. And then you got to just kill five hours in the afternoon. And then you got to think about putting the tent up again. And then, Oh my goodness to do that over and over. And it's just, yeah, you're bored too. You know, you think about, I mean, that's, that's the physical needs are obviously there, but entertainment, I mean, there's nothing you can do. You just got to wait around. Well, a couple of things, um, Carter, again, with his, uh, his gift of sleeping early, he <laughs> missed out on the fact that we were surrounded by river rats yep. at one point. You mean real river rats? They were, uh, unless we have some actors that came. <laughs> <laughs> the tent was surrounded by rats at one point in the night, and you could just hear them, you know, because where we were set up was right by water. And so they all kind of scurried past us, and I was just like, okay, this is this is enough. This is this is a little crazy. And then also, I was missing my family. I was ready to get back home and be with my family. So I couldn't imagine, um, you know, because there are homeless women that you get separated from your family because of the circumstances that you're in, whether it's, you know, you decided to start doing drugs or just, yeah, being away from family, that kind of support. I was to be out on your own 24 seven like that. It's just a really hard life. It's just, it's too hard. I, I wouldn't recommend any female, especially a female with children, but uh, for, even for a man, it's just, it's, it's a lot to deal with mentally and physically. But star of hope is there to help, mm-hmm. you know, especially the women, mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, don't need to be on the streets. Yeah. We now have a, uh, a beautiful facility called the Women and Family Development Center at Star of Hope's Cornerstone Community. And uh, we offer help to 180 single women and 130 families. And you know, we try and get the word out to these women who are on the streets or these mm-hmm. families that are on the streets. And, of course, we've been working with the men since 1907 downtown. And so many of those men know about Star of Hope and other nonprofits around town, but they just refuse to go into a shelter because... They've created their own little world, and there's a lot of, as you saw, mental illness, a lot of bad decisions being made because of addiction, et cetera, et cetera. So people say, you know, what causes homeless? And I say, how, how much time you got? I mean, it's like an onion peeling layer after layer after layer. So you experience just a little bit of it. As you mm-hmm. well put, you put your toe in the water. The difference is that you had protection, and the other difference is you knew you had a happy ending. Mm-hmm. You knew there was a deadline. You knew by this time tomorrow, you're going to be home taking a shower. Mm-hmm. Imagine those people that don't have that facility, don't have that luxury, don't have that future. If I ever were to come across a female, I would definitely tell her, go to the Star of Hope. And with the facilities, so we were able to take a tour of uh, the facilities, mm-hmm. the new one that you said, the family center. I was so blown away by just the the peace. That when you're walking through there, I, looking through the classrooms, I'm looking at women who are just maybe weeks ago were on the street and they're now taking classes. And then I was really impressed by the children's facilities. I, I'm very, I'm a helicopter mom. I am a drone mom. I am a mama bear. And so 
when I walked through there and I saw just how beautiful it was. It, you know, it looked like a top of the line kids care place that I would take my children to. And it just really put a smile on my heart just to know that you guys are taking such good care of, of the mothers and the children. And so any woman that if I ever come across a homeless woman, I will definitely tell her, go to the Star of Hope. Just let them help you put it back together because you can put it back together. And after I went to the luncheon, uh, a lady that you had at the luncheon that stood out to me um, that you honored, I, I don't remember her name, but I, I know that she was homeless at one point and then she brought her son with her and her son is now like a neuro, uh, like a, a neuroscience or mm-hmm. what is he, a brain scientist? Some, he's smarter than me, <laughs> but he was like, I remember when me and my mom were homeless and I remember that and she was able to get help from the Star of Hope, put her life back together and send me and my brother to college and we're now very successful. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, man, you went from a homeless shelter to... right. Nero, Nero, I don't, I can't even say it. He's so smart. You got smarts. <laughs> you, you got a brain up there. <laughs> but, you know, just to know that, it, just that there's help out there available for women and not only just the women, they're going to take care of your kids too. That's a beautiful thing. I couldn't imagine being a, a mother, you know, and things happen, you know, abusive relationships, um, divorces, human trafficking, human trafficking. There's so many reasons. Like you said, Mm -hmm. how does someone become homeless? (laughs) Sit down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope you got some time. So the documentary is now public and a number of people have already seen it. People are reacting to it. What are some of the things you're hearing? I I think one, I mean, mostly it's, it's just all positive because it's just, um, it's a different look. People didn't, you know, I think they got the the heart behind it and they've made hope bags and, you know, it's a really cool thing that maybe this city can change the attitude. Um, I would love your take, both, both of y'all's take on this. Just got another call. It happened once when we did it. It happened again today of somebody that has gone through years of homelessness and this kind of how dare you attitude think that you can, you say that you can, you've gone through what I've gone through. And I, you know, I, I think the words are a little maybe misconstrued and, and obviously you're speaking from pain. Uh, man, it's just, it hurts because I definitely don't. I, neither one, none of us do, of us three sitting here know what, you know, true ongoing homelessness is like. Um, but, I, but I hope people know that the heart behind it is to relate and it's to, to just see as much as we can and especially the documentary is for those, you know, you, you probably don't need to watch the documentary if you're living homelessness or have. It's for those that have never and will never and need to understand what real people are going through in our city. I mean, that's who the documentary is for. And so I'd, I'd love your, if you guys have gotten any of that or what you would say to somebody um, that is. I'm, well, of course, I don't know what it's like to experience that long term. But I can tell you what I went through has put me in a position to where uh, it has changed the way I interact with those individuals, with Mm. people that are homeless. Um, I can also tell you that when I've run into some when I run into someone that's dealing with that uh, case in point, we had a listener who called right after we came back Mm -hmm. from doing that, like probably two days after we came back, who was suicidal um, in a hotel and just Another person was trying to get her help and they called us and I ended up speaking to her, ended up calling Scott and they got her into the shelter. So 
um, it's not to say, oh, I know what you're going through and I know, I know. No, it's to say I have a small idea of what you possibly could be dealing with. Um, while I may not have all the answers, I know some people that can really help you out. Mm. And so if I could just connect you to these people and and help you put things back together. The young lady that we referred to you, I mean, I remember there was someone in the studio and they got mad that I was I had spent maybe 45 minutes going on and off the air, uh, you know, because we have to be on air. So I would go on the air, put her on hold and get off the air and listen to her tell me about I've been sexually abused. I've been beat up and just all these horrible things that have happened to her. And the person in the studio is like, she's running game on you. She's lying. And and after now, before I probably would have been like, okay, this is a lot. And you're you're selling me a story. So bye. Mm. after the experience, though. A couple of things happen. It doesn't hurt me to listen to her. Mm. It also doesn't hurt me to try to point her in the right direction. Whether she takes the help or not is not that's not on me. Right. I have information that she can use and I have an ear and it doesn't hurt me to listen to what it is she has to say. And so walking out of the experience, that is that is what I am able to do now. Um, that's how I'm able to help the situation. If you are sitting in front of a homeless person, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, I think it's it's just obvious to to go somewhere that you can get long term help from, because my two dollars, even if you're using it for legitimate reasons, uh, is not going to change your life. It's going to change your meal time, um, and so and I think that's the call to when you feel feelings of guilt, like you need to do something for this person that's asking you for something. I think that's why it's so important that money is not the first thing we run to. If God's if God's calling you there in that moment, that's one thing. But in general, to just, okay, how much do you want? Um, you are not going to save them. And, you know, I, I would even, you know, it's, it's the heart that changes people. You know, even just the programs themselves at Star of Hope won't truly change. It's the people there that are loving them in that moment. And when they, but when they can go into those programs and have hope with a cornerstone community or something and know that I can get certified here, I can stay here for a while until I get on my feet. I mean, that's where true change comes from. And so to speak directly to a person that won't accept that, uh, you know, that's, that's where you got to tell them that this team of people that do this professionally can help you a lot more than I can with my $2. Yeah, for sure. I don't have all the tools in my belt to help you, but I know some people that do. And if you're ready for it, I have their number. And Scott, I've called you. Yes, you have. I have called him. Mm-hmm. I've called him and been like, hey, there's somebody here. Can we can we get him? Do you have room? And he picks up the phone and, and truly does help. So that is, that's what I, I now look at homeless people in the face. I'm walking by them. I was just in Seattle over the weekend, large homeless pop- population there. Uh, and the people that were hosting my stay, they were trying to warn me, Ayana, there's homeless. I hope it doesn't freak you out. <laughs> freak you sh- out. <laughs> yeah, I, ho- I hope it doesn't freak They had no idea. Okay, all right. And so I was like, well, I'm going to show you a video later on. But no, it doesn't freak me out. And as we were there, a homeless lady walked up to me and said, hey, it's my birthday. And I said, well, happy birthday to you. Here's my water. And do you have any money? No, I don't have any money on me. I'm sorry, but you can have my water and God bless you. 
And she smiled and said, thank you. Mm. So I, that's where I am now. I'm going to make eye contact with you. I do have a few minutes to hear what you have to say. And if I know of any resources in the city that I am in at the time, I'm going to tell you about them. Because there is hope, there's help, and there's people that have dedicated their lives to helping someone just like you. Here in Houston, Star of Hope is here to help. Go to SOHmission.org. Watch the video. It's called In Their Shoes. See Carter, Ayana, and the Precinct One constables as they navigate the streets of Houston as members of the homeless community. And at the same place, you can find out more about Star of Hope and the many ways you can help us help Houston's homeless. Well, that's all for now. Until next time, keep a soul full of joy and a heart filled with hope. A Moment of Hope is produced and presented by the Star of Hope Mission, ending homelessness one life, one family at a time by providing services to more than 1,000 homeless men, women, and children each day in Houston. Could you spare a little hope today? For more information or to donate to the Star of Hope Mission, please visit SOHmission.org.